week we were looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan using the lens of a, a man called Kenneth Bailey who's written this wonderful book uh, having lived in the ancient Near East on parables. And we were saying that the story of the Good Samaritan is a bit like uh, the joke, the Englishman, the Scotsman, and the Irishman, and you sort of know who the players are. And again, uh, the parable that we've just heard read is one of those that if you get it, you get it, um, and if you don't, you don't. And um, so let's pray for God to uh, really give us revelation and insight as we look into this parable today. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you will come among us by your Spirit, And you'll give us incredible revelation as to how we should pray, with what passion, with what force, and what dedication. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so, here we have a parable which uh, for years uh, and years has been interpreted in a particular way, but it may have actually gone slightly skewed. So we're going to do a bit of a history lesson this morning to get us going. Does anyone know uh, the Council of Chalcedon? I'm looking at the uh, clever clogs in the front row here. They're like, yes, I know all about that. Anyone else heard of the Council of Chalcedon? It was the end of the 5th century. And at the end of the 5th century, the churches, uh, the West and East, sort of separated from each other over doctrinal issues, which meant that the Greek and Latin churches, our churches, the Western churches, were separated from those churches in the place where Nabil and Sarah Shahadi live, and where, of course, the stories uh, emerged from that Jesus told. And so our understanding of many of our stories got skewed as we got detached from those who had actually lived out these things and so forth. And in the 20th century, a man called Kenneth Bailey uh, had the, uh, the joy of being in countries like the Lebanon for many years and became a great Bible scholar. And he started to reread these parables through the lens of the people that he was actually talking to and being with. And he came out with a very different audience. And he says this, he says, if you're a Korean and you read this parable, you read it as if it's occurring in a Korean block of flats. If you're an American, you read it as if it's occurring in a suburban place with you know, a white picket fence or wherever you happen to live. If you're a Brit, you see it in a British way. If you're a German, in a German way. But if you're from the ancient Near East and you read this, and you have this. Um, suppose you've got a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come to you, and I've got no other food to offer him. Uh, and, and he says, uh, what, what's he going to say to that? In the context, in the culture, it's a bit like saying, the church is on fire. You've got a mobile phone in your pocket. Are you going to not phone the fire brigade? <laughs> and everyone's going to go, Of course you're going to phone the fire brigade. Don't be so terrible. Because if he doesn't say he knocks at the door, if you notice. He says he comes to the door and talks. So it's not the threatening knock that we sometimes get at the vicarage in the middle of the night, (laughs) wondering who on earth is at the door. But it's it's someone who knows your voice going, let me in. I need some bread. And if you know the context, you'll realize that when you go and say, let me in, I need some bread, you've already woken up 15 households around you. I can remember going to um, Varanasi in India and seeing the way that houses were stacked on top of houses and there. And of course, you, everyone knows each other's business, don't they? And you'll have traveled to different places and seen parts of the world where everyone knows each other's business. So you go, let me in, I need some bread. And the guy inside has got a choice. Um, he either rolls over and goes, <laughs> or he gets up and does something about it. And what, what does Jesus say? 
He says, and suppose the one inside says, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. Um, that's what he wants to say, Jesus is saying. This is what the guy wants to say. Have you ever had that experience? You've, you've been there, uh, someone living nearby you, some of you live in, a, in an accommodation where you're all under the same roof, don't you? And, and someone's, you, you, maybe you hear the voice at the door and you're like, I'm not in. <laughs> you know, that's that sort of situation. But he, he's got a choice. Does he roll over? Everyone knows he's in there. His children have probably woken up anyway. Or does he come and answer the door? Now, in the context, in the culture, really, he, he does have a choice, but he also doesn't have a choice. Even if he doesn't like the person at the door, for the sake of his shame or his integrity, so that he can be without shame in the community, he's going to answer the door anyway because that's just the DNA of what he's hotwired to do. And if you've ever had the joy of traveling in a Middle Eastern country or so forth, hospitality is not like it is in Britain, is it? You let them in, and you feed them. And if they don't accept food, it's a slur, isn't it? He needs to be able to feed them, and he's there. So this is where, um, this is where it's, it's, it's become interesting in our translation because of this separation um, from... Um, from, from east and west. Because it says, Jesus in our translation says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, that because of, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And, uh, um, and, but there in the footnote, you've got, or yet to preserve his good name. And the footnote is what has been added into the NIV translation in this version as a result of Kenneth Bailey's scholarship and other scholarship like him. Because in, the, in this verb, either you've got you persisting at the door going, let me in, 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 which is one reading. You're the, you're the verb in it. Uh, you, your shameless audacity. <laughs> you know, come on, let me in, let me in, let me in. Or you've got him trying to avoid shame <laughs> on his name because of his good name. He doesn't want his good name to be ruined. Now, how you read this parable with the Eastern or the Western lens is important because it affects how you see God. And it affects the sort of prayer that you're supposed to do in life. On one reading, you've got a toddler, and toddlers are very effective at getting their own way. Anyone hang out with a toddler recently? If a toddler doesn't get its own way, what does it do? It screams, doesn't it? It's like, that was just for the recording. Uh, it's probably freaked someone out in a car right now. May God protect you on your journey. Um, but eventually, a lot of parents capitulate, don't they? And is that what David's shaking his head? Absolutely, they should not capitulate. That's what makes them have tantrums. And that is the God perspective. Uh, say again. <laughs> Your toddler's squashed. <laughs> David's toddler's not allowed to do anything. But most people's toddlers do, do, do their best at a good tantrum. If God played along with that, what would happen to our maturity levels? What happens to a toddler if you always give in to them? What sort of adult do they become? Yeah? And, and what Kenneth Bailey's saying in this parable is, look, it's, this is all about for the sake of God's name. God is going to answer on the basis of his name. And if you know your Old Testament well, 
You'll, you'll remember a passage in Ezekiel where it says, I'm not going to listen to you because of your prayers, because your prayers were unrighteous and your deeds were evil and so much about you was wrong. But for the sake of my name, I'm going to answer. Some of the prophets say, God, for the sake of your name, have mercy on Israel because it's a scandal that Israel's doing as bad as it is. And this is a really interesting revelation, isn't it? Because right here, right now, in Chiswick, we could all pray, God, for the sake of your name, don't let there not be a witness to Jesus in Chiswick. Look, for the sake of your name, draw people to salvation in Chiswick. For the sake of your name, don't let St. Albans fall apart. Don't let Turnham Green fall apart. Don't let any of your churches fall apart. For the sake of your name, for your glory, Lord. Okay, so that's one thing. It's sandwiched, this parable, between two other bits of teaching. And you can see why, um, on, on a reading, the, the uh, Western Fathers uh, took this to be about uh, just persevering, uh, probably wrongly, um, rather than about shame and, and honor and your name. Because the parable that comes after it, or the words that come after it, are the well-known words about asking, seeking, and knocking. Do you, do you know them? Uh, and that's about asking a father for the Holy Spirit. Like, I want to know God. I want the Holy Spirit. And if you, if you seek, you will find, says Jesus. Um, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. So I come knocking on the door of God's and say, please, God, let me in. I want more of your spirit. I want more of you. Father, don't turn me away. I need you, Father. And what father is not going to be moved by that toddler, if you like, coming saying, I need a hug. I need you in my life. I love you. Love me back again. That parent then opens their arm wise, don't they? Give them a hug and let them know their identity. Have more of me, my son. Have more of me. You're mine. I'm yours. Ask, knock, sit. You want an egg? I'm not going to give you a scorpion. I'm your daddy. You want bread? I'm not going to give you a stone. You're my daddy. I want to give you the spirit. And if you look at the thing before the parable, you'll see that these all hold together. What comes before the parable? Have a look. Page 1042, Luke chapter 11. The Lord's Prayer. And there are two bases in the Lord's Prayer, you see, then worked out afterwards for us praying. Father. First word, Father, or Our Father. We approach God as Daddy. But then secondly, hallowed be your name. May your name be glorified. And these are the two bases for intercessory prayer. It's good, isn't it? It's liberating. So on the one hand, you can come to Daddy and go, Daddy, I need more of you. I need the Spirit. And on the other hand, you can go, for your glory's sake, do something. So that shame is not brought upon you, God. So here we are in situations where we're interceding for people. I'm heading to the hospital later today to pray for someone incredibly sick and ill in a family where things are so bad. What, what do we do? Well, we have another parable, don't we? The parable of the persistent widow. And, and she's the one who goes to an unjust judge and she won't stop banging on his door until she gets an answer. 
So we have a model in that parable of persistence until you get an answer. Uh, But we also have in this parable one that's saying you don't have to be a toddler. And there's something here that says when God said wait or no, you might try him three times like Paul did and like Jesus did in Gethsemane. But then you, you go, okay, thy will be done. You don't have to keep going, the same thing, God. Paul didn't keep praying and praying that the thorn in his flesh was taken away. He spoke to God, his father, as a father, three times and said, is there another way? Jesus was able to get up from Gethsemane and go to Calvary because he knew that there was a point where he was just going, okay, God, you're in charge, you're the boss. Here we are in this sort of messy place in between. If you haven't yet got a prayer answer, you don't know if God said anything to you yet or not, then the persistent widow parable is is the one you go for. You're like, God, I'm not going to let go until I get an answer. Jacob in the Old Testament, I'm not going to let go until I've got a blessing. But otherwise, we're like, okay, I'm not going to be a toddler. Because I trust that for the sake of your name, you're going to open the doors right. You're not deaf. You're not a statue over there. And sometimes the journey that you're taking me on is a journey towards asking for more of the Holy Spirit. Not just what I want and what I need. In this life, you're not going to have everything you ever want. And you're not going to have everything you ever prayed for. Doesn't matter if you've got the most magic words, the best hand posture, (laughs) you fasted the most, you are not a magician in control of your situation. (laughs) Thank goodness prayer is not magic. You are not the boss. It gets to a point where you go, okay, all right, God, (laughs) I submit to you because you know and trust that he does what's right, that he will open up the door. An unnice friend will open up the door for you to preserve their shame. And the parallel is that God is a good friend. And in his integrity, he will always open up the right doors for you. So you don't have to worry about that. So what do we do? How do we become a church of great prayer? One of the things is to remember who we're praying to. Have the right image of God. Is God good that you're praying to? The answer of this is, yes, he is. He's a good friend, and he will always open the right door for you when you ask. Does he want to give you the Spirit? Yes, he does. So ask for the Spirit. All the time, he's ready to pour out his Spirit to align you and him more and more. Does he need you to throw a temper tantrum? He doesn't. He, he can cope with your temper tantrum. <laughs> he doesn't need it to give a breakthrough in your life. But there is a sense in this parable and in the persistent widow and and so forth where there's an invitation into prayer to a loving God, to a Father. And two ways to pray. One is, our Father, Daddy, deliver me from evil. It's the culmination of the prayer. Deliver me from evil. Keep me safe, God. And the other one 
is to say, for the sake of your name, Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive people. Have mercy on our area. Have mercy on this place. For the sake of your name, forgive the people of West London, Lord. For the sake of your name, forgive everyone out there. Realign them to you, Lord. Don't let it go to hell in a handcart, Lord. For the sake of your name, forgive people. Why? Because you made them. They're made in your image. Because you allowed these churches and others to be created. Don't desert them, Lord. For the sake of your name, forgive the land, Lord. Heal our land for the sake of your name. Not because we deserve it. We don't deserve anything. But Daddy, for the sake of your name, have mercy on London Town. Good, isn't it? Two ways into prayer. For your sake, Lord. Daddy, give me more of the Spirit. Right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, strangely, the center part of it, give us each day our daily bread, is probably a shorthand for saying, let the kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Give us all of the kingdom stuff that we need. God, please would you bless this word to us today. I want to pray that as a church that you cause us to be prayers, cause us to be people who pester heaven in the right way and trust you when we need to trust you in those days where we just need to remember that you're daddy and that you're good. Thank you that you are invested in your own glory and that you will not let your name and Jesus' name be unglorified. Pray that you forgive the people of our area and forgive us that Jesus might be glorified as he should. Pray that as we lift him up in our church life, in our home life, in our work life, that others will be drawn to him and salvation will spring up from the ground. In Jesus' name, amen.